and we're off. Welcome to Fitness and Relations. I'm James. You cannot see her. Um, but I'm Melissa. <laughs> that was that was well done. Excellent. I don't know. You're the you're picking up on the cues now. Yeah. Yeah. We'll become masterful when we're not on video and I start to say that and then you finish my sentences. We're pretty much a couple then when that starts happening. Fitness and relations couple. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we want everyone to become, you know, relations, have relations with people. Um, today we're going to talk about fitness and exercise and physical expression during pregnancy. Uh, we will link in, uh, some articles uh, that we've read, uh, from, well, well, both were actually from the New York times, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and that, that starts me off on the first question, just based upon this. And we're going to dig into a bunch of different areas inside of it, but Maybe you could uh, keep going with your story you mentioned offline beforehand of uh, your client. And um, what I wanted to touch on was her hesitancy to tell you as to where she got the information. And I want you to forelay that into a conversation starter on where do females get this information on this particular topic today? So the New York Times released a post, I believe it was last week or the week before, on training throughout pregnancy. Um, and one of my clients is three months postpartum and she had read it and so she sent it my way, but she prefaced it with apologizing or like being a little embarrassed because she knows that the New York Times isn't the most reliable source of information when it comes to health and wellness or that I might feel that way, mm. um, which I kind of chuckled at. And I read it and I actually agreed with most things that were brought up in the piece. Um, you know, but I think to that point, that's what sparked me wanting to talk about this today is where do females get their information when it comes to um, how to, what to do with fitness when they're preparing to get pregnant and when they are pregnant? Um, are they receiving that information from their doctors? Are they receiving it from their friends, blogs? Like, where are we getting that information from today? And is it reliable? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's where I wanted to start on it is... um just 2023, you know, and what is, cause you could look at it from the case, uh, where do people just get general health information today? And I think this may fall inside of that. Would you agree that it's probably in the same area? It's not like a specific, uh, thing that's like kept secret because it's like over here and it doesn't sit inside the rules and boundaries of what social media is today and the information age and what I like to call a post journalistic world where it's, it's basically, uh, bottom up journalism. That means it's bottom up information. That means that you could subscribe to and get all the information that you want to hear. Right. Um, and it's not the like, Oh, Fox news is going to tell you this anymore. And you're only choosing from top down. That's called a post journalistic world. Um, so this, it, it's, it, it, and I didn't purposely like want us to focus on that as a starting point, but it does raise some concerns because uh, would it, would you agree that um, you know we have we have gotten into significant trouble today in society because of this new landscape of people not knowing where to get information, just information in general. You know, um, you could see that with current political strife that's happening, um, with war that's happening, right? You know, people think now because they have an iPhone, they have opinions without knowledge. 
So that that wasn't the case 20 years ago. Now let's carry that over to the conversation for today. Uh, would you agree that it's it would be more difficult, I guess, to to find that information today? Yes. Um, you know, at least from my experience and working with clients throughout their pregnancies, uh, there's very little information that you're going to receive from your practitioner other than like the typical guidelines of, you know, don't start something that you weren't already doing before you got pregnant. Um, the don't do anything on your back. There's a very few, like five general prescriptions that you're usually going to hear from your doctor that are just like best practices of do and don't do. Mm. And then outside of that, you're really left on your own. And so are there cases today because, you know, you hit on one there, let's just generalize it in the medical industry. Uh, they have definitely lost trust amongst society over the past couple of years. That's regardless if you think that should have been the case or not, it's beside the point today, but it is a fact, right? So if that is the case, um, is it possible that, you know, any of our listeners today or people who are out there, you know, looking for that information, there has to be, um, there has to be more than just your doctor's recommendations, or do you still feel from your, uh, expertise and knowledge, Melissa, that, you know, quote unquote, the generalized doctor's prescription today is going to be pretty good. I think it actually is going to have a lot of women scared to do anything at all, mm. um, which kind of like ties this into the second story that we'll talk about later that I sent over is I think there's a lot of judgment around, around what you do and you don't do throughout your pregnancy now. Yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of women just scared to do anything. Yeah. Um, or then we just gravitate towards like what we've been told is the safest thing, which is doing prenatal yoga or Pilates. Mm. Um, yeah, I just wanted to highlight the point that as we moved into this like iPhone world, um, a lot of things, you know, experts now, experts are everywhere now, right? So I'm just wondering, as I start off in regards to information sharing, you know, where people will get that information, because what, what I'm going to land on is what you just mentioned there is there are, it's individualized, but no one wants to hear that. Um, you know, because that's, that's not going to help. That's not going to be helpful because the female then has to do the extra steps to find out what's best for her. Right. Uh, and it's just human nature. We want to have answers. Right. And if your answers are now like five seconds away from your, from a star from Hollywood, you know, then it's like, oh, well, you know, I just heard my doctor say this, like, don't go inverted. Um, but um, you're seeing these movie stars or whoever the influences are doing yoga poses upside down at six months. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Then that's where we're left to find our information is typically going towards blogs or social media. Yeah. Um, you know, and when I was looking even to prep for this on like podcasts and things like that, um, none of it was wrong by any means, but again, it wasn't individualized. It was like a podcast where the person took a prenatal class and now everyone should be doing pal-off presses throughout all their pregnancy yes. when they get pregnant, because that's the best exercise for pregnancy. Um, or you have a lot of courses that are created, um, that have gained a lot of popularity that are how to scale and modify coming out of something like CrossFit. Right. Mm -hmm. So say you're a person that was just doing general fitness. And now the one thing you do find that's the most clicked on thing is like how to modify CrossFit workouts. And you start doing CrossFit workouts for your pregnancy, because that's what you're finding, finding to be the most reliable or like most verified mm -hmm. um, on site to go to. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of women, that is where they're finding their information. It's either coming from a podcast that they followed who had some type of person on there 
or you know what pops up to be the most popular on their Instagram or TikTok feed. Yeah. Yeah. So without uh, just letting that, you know, um, let people try to figure stuff out for themselves, there there is still some hope in the individual who is going to be pregnant or is wishing to be pregnant. Or I also want to add, it's not just the female in this that needs to have this knowledge. We'll, we'll touch on that next. Um, but uh, there are some principles that you and I will go over that do make it closer and closer to what you can know for this individualized approach during pregnancy. Um, but I think that, yeah, I just wanted to state from the beginning that, you know, 2003, as an example, and I just use that for as a 20 year timeline was really completely different in where people get their information for where you get it. And I just wanted to start with it to highlight the point that you have to do your work. You've got to do your homework and you've got to uh, be careful to not fall prey to, oh, that looks like it's really going to work well for me or that person influences my psyche. Therefore, that's what my pregnancy should be like. And um, I think we need to just be careful not fall prey to that. Um, I was going to move into, uh, you know, the let's call it the. The tribe uh, or the the surrounding support mechanism, we used to call it a support mechanism in our language for consulting, right? Like a support mechanism. Uh, remember the Tetrad goals, right? Resources and recipe, the resources section of like who's around you that are, is going to allow this to work. Uh, what's your thoughts initially that come to mind with regards to why it's so important that it's not only women and women that want to become pregnant that gets this information? Um, well, on that one, I think the first thing I was going to hit is uh, just a real life story. Unfortunately, a lot of women that get pregnancy are not healthy. So if your only tribe is your friends and they've all had poor, you know, pregnancy experiences because they were potentially unhealthy or overweight or weren't being active and they paint this picture of what your pregnancy has to look like. Again, I always say, who are you receiving your information from? Mm -hmm. um, because this is actually something I'm seeing more and more often when we have clients that are getting ready to go into this space themselves is like their own inner circle of female friends may mm -hmm. not be the most reliable sources of information when it comes to what what they should do or like what they can expect to happen or like mm. how to feel throughout their pregnancies. Um, again, just who are you and what was like, you know, your situation going into pregnancy, mm. but also to that other part of it is, um, you know, at least for us, a big thing is having conversations with both people in the relationship. So making sure that the female and the male, before we decide to like try to conceive are both open to being a part of this process. When that comes into how we're going to move, what are our priorities in being um, healthy parents or what does that look like? Um, do both people know how to prepare food or things like that? So that person has support throughout their pregnancy and during postpartum. Um, and then also, how do we build a tribe, right? How do we have a reliable doula or someone else that you can go to that can help you with these things? Um, again, just knowing that most often you're going to get limited information from your doctor. Yeah, like the I call it like a technical expertise. You know, your you know, your husband may not know about what a prolap uterus is, you know, yeah. <laughs> but uh you you will be able to partner up with people that are outside. What I really liked your uh thing there was uh your peers, your friends 
um, your partner, and then I guess whatever the periphery would be in technical expertise. You know, maybe we can add another one to that as just a I, idea that there's probably um, there's probably a group there too that's outside of your peers that it's not your partner. It could also be your family, meaning your parents. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you can you could glean information from them like you and I have discussed before of um, the menopausal journey. Right. Um, uh, for individuals of, you know, just as a side note tangent here, there's a lot of collecting evidence based upon how a female and how her mom had this journey of menses for a period of time. There's some indications based upon what that was like. It's one of the questions you want to ask if they remember, along with um kind of birth as well as breastfeeding and et cetera, et cetera, that kind of lead to that. But would you say that also it's possibly family that, you know, you could discuss because I know that uh, uh, my mom was able to share with my sisters around her pregnancy, the successes of it and like frequency and like what it was like, et cetera. So I'm not sure if we could probably add to that list. I mean, I think that's a really great one, especially because most moms are never asked about those experiences, right? So if you think about like, if you're yeah. in your 30s right now um, and you um, ask your mom about her birthing story or about her experience, mm. um, I guarantee you she'll be very open to sharing all that information because no one's asked her. She hasn't had an opportunity to speak on those things yeah. in you know, several decades. So um, yeah. that's always like, that came from OPEX, but that is one that we kind of give to our clients into. Uh, awesome do list of like questions to ask um yeah it's almost a feel-good thing too right you're indirectly connecting people with like this lineage and etc so i really like that but uh one thing i just wanted to you know put in different words as to what melissa said there was this uh um so back to the question why is it important that not only women you know partake in this information prior to pregnancy um one thing that I had down there too was that if if more people become aware of this, we're going to decrease ignorance and idiocy. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, so when we when we are you know like this lady, which we'll talk about in Flagstaff, when there's stories like that, when she basically like you know teaches because she's indirectly teaching, she's not just having a reaction to what people said about her online, but she's actually educating right the public. I mean, I would argue I still takes voices like you and me to increase that education to make it more individualized, not just generalized. Otherwise people are going to be thinking, Oh, she ran a marathon. I can run a marathon. Hold your horses. We'll get to that. But, but I think uh, that's the most important thing is that why this should be told outside of just women. And I'm not saying it to say that you women are the only ones that should get this information that you're entitled to. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you'll decrease the idiots out there. When more and more people know about the information and what's expected around this individualization for each female that wants to get pregnant, I think the better off everyone will be based upon that. You won't have stupid comments, right? Because that that idiot that posted that stuff based upon her or those comments that came before they put something down like that, they're going to say, what about my mom? Like, what was my mom doing during? And what about that lady over there who doesn't have good fitness but she's trying her best to become more fit. You know, you'll start thinking things like that prior to making those stupid statements. Um, the the first thing that you said, though, and I wanted to put it in in a, an assessment so a female could think about this, um, is you want to figure out your 
your state of well-being at the current time. This is a very important thing that Melissa said there. You want to say to yourself, what's a normalized and what is your individualized current state of well-being? Because then you won't fall prey to what you just mentioned, Melissa, of thinking that what you see in your periphery of your friends and how they went, you know, well, that's the way yours is going to go. No, that's not the case, right? You may be like, I would agree with you, large percentages of people don't have, let's call it awesome, basic lifestyle guidelines, right? So if that is the case, then you're going to have to basically say to yourself, well, what's a good level of fitness for me prior to doing this? And then you'll start taking the steps to say like, oh yeah, I actually don't want to just stay at this level because that's what my friends do and that's where I am. It's like, no, you may start to say things like, wow, this is going to be a couple of year process prior to me even getting ready for it happening. Yeah. You know? Um, and then you mentioned another thing, which was great. I'll put it in our words of OPEX language just so we could be repetitive of it. Uh, obvious today, we're just talking about physical expression because it's a whole different, you know, course at a university level on behavior, exercise and nutrition. But you mentioned that with the partner, which I think actually should be isolated specifically for that group. Because if there is one, you know, person that you're going to go through all these challenges with in behavior and exercise and nutrition, it is that other person. So whatever that is, that's very important. Um, and then lastly, like you said, uh, doulas, you know, uh, medical practitioners in, an, in, in a non or allopathic sense of medicine. I think that would be a great, um, you know, person for you to bounce some ideas off. So, and, and then we added like moms, you know, to, to that uh, for our list. So was there anything now that I've kind of just said that in a different way, you have any points to make on those or additions, Melissa? I think that's like a really solid starting foundation. And just going back to why I think, you know, we need to spread the information on, on this beyond just females is if we look at who makes up the largest portion of fitness instructors, it's still males. So, you know, oh. feeling like you can stay with who you're working with and not need to now switch when you decide mm -hmm. to get pregnant because the person you're working with doesn't have the skill set or the confidence to continue to work with you throughout your pregnancy. Right, because that can be an added burden. It's like now I have to go find Definitely. someone else to work with, or I have to like change what I've been doing for fitness because, yeah. right? We just we have so many misconceptions, or we just don't know that we think we can't keep with a male coach or trainer throughout our pregnancy because it's not a female. Yeah, well, there's an economic paradox in a way there. So if your male's listening up, yeah, get educated and start learning your shit. But if your female is listening up, uh, you you need to recognize that you may have the secret sauce here that could help a lot of people, right? So I don't, and I I don't, you know, I I think I'm, yeah, I actually feel completely fine about that. Meaning, like a female is going to say, "Listen, I am a female, and I know about all these things and all these parts." And you may have an experience of having a child, which certainly would help you based upon that. But you could you list based upon what Melissa just said that I agree with. You could hear this and stick your neck out to say, I could be specialized in this specific training. And that could lead to economic benefit for you, um, which, you know, there's a separate story in there another time of like um, the, because I, I, I would argue, I'm not sure if you disagree with that, but there's in, in five years, 10 years, 15 years, you're going to have to have even more specialized technical expertise in this particular area based upon all the confounding issues that are being proposed with regards to age 
pregnancy capabilities and things like that for the future. Would you agree with that? I mean, I agree with you there, but I've had, you know, a large amount of male coaches that have gone through CCP reach out to just pick my brain to make sure they're on the, on the right path here when they're working with their female clients, if they have a client that gets pregnant and most of them know everything they need to know. Right. It's just, we've been kind of made to, again, this fear and doubt Mm -hmm. uh, following principles and like knowing what a priority should be for a person who has, you know, if our, if our belly is growing and things like that, it's like, you understand great principles when it comes to creating the X's and O's of a fitness program, you don't need to feel like now I can't continue to work with this person. Yeah. Right. Maybe you've built a really great rapport with this individual. You've already started your journey. You guys have a great relationship. And now you feel like you have to go send her somewhere else because she's hit a chapter of life that you've been told by social media. She needs a specialist for. Mm -hmm. So I'm always hesitant when we put people into like, you need like a specialization where it's Mm -hmm. like postpartum, you need to go to a postpartum, like a postpartum coach, or if you're going through menopause, you need to leave and go to a menopausal coach. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think again, then we get over hyper specialized. Mm -hmm. um, And I don't think it really helps people in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking that in the future, there probably have to be tiers of tiers, T I E R S of this level of capability where for sure the individuals that you're answering questions to, I would agree, they're going to help people. Let's call it at tier one. If I was just to create tiers, right? So at tier one, I would agree. And I think the tier one, which I do want to segue into right after this are these basic principles. Yeah. Um, but there could be, I think. I think there's going to be something more though in the future of uh, this requirement for more specialization that even the CCP coach will not be able to cover. It's going to be, it's going to be more challenging. And and I'll just, I'll just add like little tidbits in here to make, to recognize tier two, tier three, because tier three will be based upon how to balance out behavior, knowing that there's medications in place now, you see, and now Cause they got feedback coming back from their brain that says, no, you're not hungry, mm-hmm. you know? So there's just going to be, I think there's going to be a host of, of things where by all means, if you're still giving them tier one information, I think it'll be fine. Right. Just don't be inverted when you're six months, you know, et cetera. I mean, that's great, but you know what I'm saying of the, I just, I just think that, yeah. Anyways, I just think that the, the, like the, for me personally anyways, and what I want to say to society is we need to get over this whole Pollyanna utopic idea of being pregnant at 22 years of age and then getting pregnant at 24 and then 26 and then 28 and 30. You know, I think we need to really, really rethink all the things that are intertwining in society and the future that connects to that, because that's not... I'm not going to say that you and I are specifically laying claim to those principles for today, but because this is, this is the base support that we're dealing with is like, oh, so, okay, you're 30 years of age, having your first child, you know, this was going to look like, yeah, okay. You know, the principles still stand, but what happens now, which I do think will be in 10, 15 years, you know, if the average age is moving for first child is 33 years of age, that's not going back to 26 in 10 years. You see what I'm saying? So um, sorry to belabor that point, but I just, maybe that's something for you and I to do over time is to create these tiers of like, you know, when is it important? How serious is it? Or am I just, you know, talking yeah. way too much and getting it, you know, not really getting anywhere. Okay. So the, um, the principles that I had down and, and you could add to this if I'm missing any, um, and this is what we talk about for CCP. So it, uh, it kind of, 
It's consistent. Um, inversion, you know, periods of time throughout uh, pregnancy, you know, and you would think that, oh, you know, you know, this is 2023, James, you know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not really going to be happening. Well, you know, in 2004, no one thought that handstand pushups would be a cool thing to do in exercise. Okay. Yeah. So, um, this along with, would you agree that the commercialization and production system inside of yoga has also allowed people to like sneak into this area? Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. So inversion is something that, I mean, I don't even know if I want to give it any time whatsoever for this nuanced conversation about it. And don't hold my feet to the fire when you hear me say later that it's your capabilities that dictate, um, you know, what you can do during pregnancy. I don't give a shit if you've done a thousand handstand pushups the week prior. And now all of a sudden you're six, you're six months pregnant. Well, it can't be a week prior, but you did it, you know, many times. Um, and now you're six months pregnant to me. It just, uh, it just seems stupid. Do you have any space for that whatsoever? Or is it just like not needed? Is it just a party trick or is there something in there I'm missing physiologically that. It's just a party trick. I think at that point, you know, again, um, in a non-pregnant state inversion is fantastic. You know, I, I had one client that's like, you know, she says it feels good. So she kicks up in a handstand like once a week. And I'm like, if that's what, you know, like, I think there's other ways we can, I don't know. I, I don't feel like it's very necessary. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think this is where just general population will come in and be like, well, I saw this female doing this, right. And she was this mm -hmm. far pregnant. That's where, again, I think some individualization comes in. It's like, mm -hmm. do we need to be doing burpees at, you know, seven months pregnant? Mm -hmm. Probably not. Right. But yeah. like, you know, um, again, I always go back to what are your priorities and what are we trying to accomplish in your fitness program for you to have the best pregnancy possible? Yeah. I was just thinking back when someone asked, like, what is appropriate or what isn't? It's like, how do you feel when you're doing it? Mm -hmm. And how does it align to your goals? Yeah. Like right now. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I would say the, the, it's um, in a prenatal state um, or postnatal, because postnatal, which is not our conversation today, but I've, I've done numerous inversion techniques for um, prolapse uterus or uterus issues or um, even healing, blood flow, et cetera, post, right? And that comes with, of course, skills and conversation, whatever. But um, and pre, you know, probably the same thing you is either it was either adjacent to yoga or someone was like, oh, I just do this and this is what it feels like because apparently it's going to like cure my immune system or whatever. You're like, okay, fine. I mean, can you do it? That's fine. Does it make you feel good? Great. Okay, well, you know, continue to do it. So in a pre or postnatal situation, we'll say that it's okay. But during, um, we're not into it. Secondly, um, rapid temperature increase. Um, again, this was pre 2003, 2004, not really considered. I mean, it, it was, it was actually discussed because I remember in the nineties being taught this in some specialized, uh, training pregnancy courses, which I took her name was, I even remember her name too, Suzette O'Byrne. Um, we did some specialized training courses in the YMCA in Calgary and then in Canada um, and there was, that was some legit training that I got from the YMCA as well as I started to give to teach coaches over time. I just want to shout out to my, uh, my mentors based upon that, but we were taught during that time that there was a little space left in there for concentration on being careful not to rapidly elevate core temperature. And of course the conversation then would be like, 
you know, going from cold baths to like super hot, uh, hot tubs or being in a sauna under hot, we really high temperature and too fast of a rate. Um, but you could see that exercise and quote unquote, the four minute, five minute friends where you have an unbelievable increase in core temperature, which is why we used to strip off all of our clothes. People thought we were narcissists. Actually, we just felt like we were burning up. Um, those rapid temperature increases from the early CrossFit days, not to point a finger at CrossFit, but just intense fitness, basically, um, you want to stay away from. Do you have anything to add to that or just an agreement of the... An agreement of that, because yeah. that is like a new thing to the fitness. Um, like, High-intensity interval training, right? I, well, high-intensity interval training, and now they also have ones that are like, um, it's like you can do, a, you know, a hit class that's in a heated room where the temp changes throughout the class, like that would be like, I, that's like a new studio that just literally opened up in our town. Um, you know, so like that is something I wouldn't advise um, any of my pregnant clients to go do right now. Um, I'm laughing because I can't even believe it's an option. I just saw they had a <laughs> market this week and they, they had a booth. I was like, this oh, is- wow. Yeah. oh, I don't want to go off on a tangent on that. I'm sure they have like scientific studies and everything that's connected to it. Um, yeah, so the rapid temperature increase, uh, the third one that I mentioned was the, um, Valsalva maneuver and the increase in blood pressure. So this is where there, there is a, I would say like, there is a little bit of a nuance in here for individuals that have created, I would call it like a robust inventory of resistance, uh, training prior to pregnancy where they're not going to get the central nervous system um, kickback that says, holy crap, that's a, I, I really need to respond to this like tension by increasing blood pressure. Um, and the way that your body works in your heart and lungs and whole brain and system. Um, if you're doing this during pregnancy, I just want to say it that, you know, if you, if you don't know what that word means, then you're, you might be okay. But what we mean by that is like, really bearing down and doing something extraneously hard throughout the pregnancy. Um, and that can result in some blood pressure issues. Um, you do have hormones that fluctuate throughout your body that don't only make joints laxity, but it does change up like pliability of, of, uh, blood flow. Um, so it's just something to take into consideration there. Any, any thoughts on that? Maybe a little bit on the nuance aspect, Melissa, I don't know if you have any examples of people that continue to like do like challenging resistance during pregnancy without any problems. I feel like it's a little nuancy. It always comes up in any course I look at, um, specifically if like you have a female that's wanting to continue in something like powerlifting, um, right. Like that may be one where it comes up, but it's, think a little nuancy now for a general pop person it's usually not yeah. something you're concerned about yeah it's almost in that category i think when you bring up powerlifting of the sport conversation right mm-hmm. yeah because i think and hey we may we may uh cross cross grounds here on the runner example because i don't know enough about her example the lady in flagstaff on this but when it comes into the sport thing I think that's when then you got to start saying we got to bring up the conversation of intentions of well-being and health versus sport. Uh, do you know what I mean? So, for example, someone was because you said powerlifting. So I'd assume that they're not doing it as a recreational thing, because otherwise that just means you're doing bench and squat and deadlift. Um, and you're just like doing them for resistance, which is fantastic. Right. Which is fantastic. But if you're like, well, I compete, you know, 
uh, four times a year at these massive events. I have a primary event at this time, and this is when I do bulking, and this is what I, you know, if you're that, then now we're having a different conversation. Would you agree with that? I'm talking specifically like, like this is my sport. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I agree with you there. That's where there's nuance. And I think there's a little bit of nuance conversation perhaps when you're like, oh, geez, there's a, someone who's five months pregnant and I see her at a powerlifting gym and she's doing sumo deadlift um, and her belly is like right in front of the bar as it comes up. And, and you can see people off in the corner being like, holy shit, like, is that healthy? And you can see this is where it's like, well, you know, that person has done that particular movement like 6 million times prior to this. Do you see what I'm saying? And she's probably not even, I can make an assumption, she's probably not even competing in the next couple of months because she wants to have a child. She doesn't want to compete. So anyways, so there is a little bit of nuance in there with regards to the Valsalva, but I would say uh, just keep that real strenuous high blood pressure increase. Uh, I just call it like a, a significant grunt. Just keep it off the table. But I'd say that has come up. Like we've had clients be okay. concerned really know what intensity should look like right like are they straining or like you know hearing that and not really knowing context um to like their own expression of fitness so yeah i think there's something you may come across with clients hearing it yeah. and just knowing what their intensity should be yeah i used to say it's simple uh by saying if if you, if you feel like you have to hold your breath to do the work you're it's too strenuous for you right because people who can hold their breath and do the work have practiced holding their breath to do the work, right? So they know what that strain is. Um, and therefore there's different blood, you know, O2 happening at the blood muscle and blood level, you know, cause they've been practicing that, right? But if you don't have that great transfer and exchange down the system and it's your first time doing it, your your brain is not gonna like that. It's gonna, it could shut things off, right? Which is not good. It, it'll have a governor effect where it just won't allow you to do it. So um, yes, that's a great point to bring that up based upon uh, the person's experience and understanding of it. And just, you know, what would be a simple term breathe throughout or breathe through the effort. That's maybe something, yeah. you know, someone can listen to there. Um, joint laxity, right? Mm -hmm. So we have, um, I would say, you know, uh, two major joint areas, but there are actually other ones that have taken a significant, the, the pelvo, the pelvic lumbar area and symphysis pubis. Um, these are two, areas that just are going through the reason why I pause there is like, if you were to actually study, which I have not, but I just know the intricacies of it, uh, structures of humans and tensegrity and like what things are needed in order to hold structure into place and, and load and et cetera through these. And then you see what happens like, you know, to these humans, either up close and personal or through like, obvious, you know, x-rays or graphs where you could see that, it would blow your mind as to how much quote unquote space there is now between specific joints, as well as what kind of range of motion is increased throughout. So just think about that. If you're going to have an increase in range of motion in specific joints, and there's going to be less tensegrity or less, less tension, it's, uh, it's more uh, immobile, it's less stable, then I just hope people could read between the lines there. What do you have to be cautious of, right? You have to be cautious of real high tension that's going to pull it out of those positions or what I like just like to call dynamic unknown contractions. So if you're, you know, and just put it into layman's terms, if you're loose and wobbly and unstable, 
you have no business doing like really heavy weights or plyometrics, you know? So this is where the bounding and jumping and like different kinds of stuff around the pelvis, we really got to caution. Do you have anything to add to that? Stories or things to think about? Language? That's where it goes to like unnecessary, right? Like box jumps, double unders, jump rope. Um, You know, and again, this is like, if you're talking to someone that came from, I hate to say CrossFit again, but doesn't like wants to still stay with the group. And it's like, I can still do these things. Mm. Uh, but understanding why it's just not necessary based upon the priorities and goals of where you are right now. Yeah. Right. Unless you again are like in sport, if you're just a general person that's going to class, we don't need to be doing box jump step downs. Yes. Like it's not the most beneficial or highest priority. Uh, I always think where's the highest priority movements we could be doing to support your pregnancy. This does not fit in that category. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let's come back to that because I think that's the, that's even a little bit of an argument, even towards uh, using the female in Flagstaff as an example. Um, it's I'm going to come back to it. It's this like accelerated increase in body weight, which changes up physics and biomechanics, right? And prenatal, the mind and the body is is really different than that new state of an increase in weight. So I want to come back to that, to our point on like, well, how do you individualize an increasing weight scenario, right? Because think about it in the coach's mind to go on this tangent. In a coach's mind, we are, you know, born to decrease people's weight, right? We have all the tools to make people lighter and more efficient. Yet here you have this natural phenomenon of increasing weight, which is necessary, right? Which is necessary, but I don't know if we have the perfect tools to deal with that, knowing that this is going to go up and up and up. So I'm going to come back to that. It's outside of our conversation of what we're just discussing here in these basic principles. But the last one I want to discuss, and I want you to think about also if there's any additions to this that we, we didn't hit, but... Um, this is always one I picked on because we used to prescribe it all the time for most people is a supine position. And um, when you know, or what, well, from my learnings anyways, and I had, I had close friends um, as well as colleagues, as clients who were, as I've said this numerous times before um, I had a deep connection to a number of OBGYNs in the Calgary health authority. Uh, we did lots of education together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was one area where they're like, yeah, it's not really spoken about, but I'm glad you raised it. They would always tell me that, James, I'm glad you're raising this thing with uh, people because I see a lot of people at that stage lying on their back in yoga classes or lying on their back doing bench presses, et cetera. And the reason why I'd say for extended periods of time, you have to be conscious of it. Now, even as you know, moms who would tell you, um, they get internal signals, even when they find themselves falling asleep on their back, they will actually feel better through feedback that they're getting, whether it's blood pressure, heart rate changes, et cetera, to turn on one side. And it actually, from my experience, from my wife, but also people recommended it, you can basically, you know, quote unquote, pillow and hug the bed and certain aspects on your side that make it very comfortable for you. I'm going on and on, but any thoughts on that outside of my conversation on supine? Yeah. And I think you hit it perfectly as most females are going to have that intuition or cue of like, what is appropriate? Like I have some clients that can be supine for like 10 to 15, like breaths, right? If they were doing, they're doing a glute bridge, they're completely fine for that, like 10 to 15 reps. And then they sit up, 
you know, mm -hmm. or yeah. like uh, intuitively knowing like, you know, when we're going to go from a flat dumbbell bench press into like a 40 degree because it feels better, you know? So um, normally like we just going to an incline using a Swiss ball can alleviate any of those issues. But um, mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing that most females will know right away when it's like, yeah, this doesn't feel good anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's it is I, you know, I think going back to uh, both the article and her, it's having the ability to trust your body in your intuition for what feels good. Mm -hmm. right? Most women will know when it's like third trimester, it doesn't feel good to do six, eight reps. Like, right. It doesn't like that feels like too much work, yes. right? Like some body weight air spots feel better. Yes. Like, like they'll intuitively know that it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I want to change my reps now. Mm -hmm. Like I, 15 with the empty barbell feels much better or, you know, um, so like the biggest check in I can always do is like, what is your body telling you? You know, mm -hmm. but, uh, that would be a big one. And then last but not least, I think the big conversation is still around like what's appropriate when it comes to doing like a sit up type exercise or what is appropriate core exercises. Fantastic. You, you just, you just picked on it. Cause I, I didn't have it down, but I wrote down spinal extension, extension and flexion. Um, cause you just said, sit up from that position. I was like, oh yeah, for sure. We always used to talk about that. Right. Um, now you, <laughs> I don't know why I'm giggling at this one, but people, you, I don't, you know, I, I don't know why I'm just giggling at it, but people need to be told this, you know, cause some people are there, you're like, are you serious? People will be doing like full spinal flexion extension during pregnancy. I'm like, yeah, people still do it. Um, I, I don't know what else to tell you, but just stay away from it. Like, I mean, there's, there's no, <laughs> I don't know. Again, it comes back to like, you know, uh, if you want to maintain your level of fitness and you're still going to group fitness, right? Like, I think this is one that maybe just may get lost in the weeds. Maybe the coach wrote an alternative workout for you for that day, right? There's like yeah. a wall on the board yeah. and all of a sudden they forget their sit-ups going and you mm -hmm. don't go to sit up and you're like, Ooh, that did not feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if there's one I can give no guidance, so they may just not know, like, you know, again, if they're working on their own, they may not know when to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like nuances of like, Oh, don't do these things third trimester, but you don't know, like, well, first trimester, should I not be doing these at all too? Like, right. So I think that is too, is like, um, yeah. just not knowing when something's okay. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I'll be super reductionist on this, and I'm going to use uh, mechanics, uh, scientific mechanics to add to it. And from my experience, I know it's helpful. Uh, two exercises that throughout your entire pregnancy you can do, and you can never be, you don't have to be concerned about any, let's just call it bullshit, commercialized core training that anyone's going to sell you. It was actually, ironically, this comes back to our point where people get information. Um, it was inside the New York Times article and recommendations, what we call four-point kneeling. So when people are in a four point position and that's when you're on your hands and your knees on the ground and you're in like a tabletop position, if I'm not describing it well, Melissa, please, you know, add other words to it. But so in that basic position uh, throughout your pregnancy, you don't have to go anywhere different than just those positions by maneuvering your hands and arms over time and balancing that position. You could also do, though, flexion and extension of the spine in that position and it will not cause any of the undue stress um, and actually, Stu McGill has done lots of research on this with this pregnancy population, as well as people who are who are not pregnant and doing it. And it provides an ultimate, let's just call it wiring, right, of where your spine is in space. Um, and I've done, given this to females over time. They love it, especially when they're deep into pregnancy, because they find it releases a whole bunch of this neural tension that gets built up from being 
in that standing improper postural position for a period of time. Um, it's even more beneficial to those who had children and are pregnant. So now they're doing like a scoliosis plus a lordosis position and contraction extension or contraction with their arms the whole time. Anyways, so those, that position, the four-point kneeling, where you can do balancing activities, you could practice pulling your navel up and in. So it's basically like a diaphragmatic, you know, a very low tension valsalva. Um, in which you're not necessarily holding your breath. You could breathe through it, but you're creating this tension around all your core muscles. Um, and if you combine that with some cat and camel, I'm telling you, you don't need to do much more than that for the entire time. You throw in a couple of side bridges every now and then, and I think you're good to go. Yeah. All right. So great for picking up on that with regards to change for the spinal um, extension flexion. Okay. So any thoughts that you had there before? Because I do want to jump over to then... Um, what we'll come up with, with, uh, uh, creating a little bit more language to your point you mentioned on to intuition. So I'm going to challenge that point of us adding to what we mean by intuition, turn it into a phrase, or just talk about how people can build, uh, intuition. Because what I think, you know, what you and I want to discuss, which I would assume there's a large percentage out there. Uh, a lot of females will need to build trust in oneself and experience in order to feel like they can trust this intuition. So I'm going to get to that. Um, but um, any thoughts that you had based upon that, you know, the the increasing in weight over time and some things that people can think about that does change up this idea. Because remember what you and I have just set up to this point um, is that you just want to be aware of what you're capable of at the current time prior to pregnancy before you partake in this training program, right? But remember what happens in a quote-unquote prenatal training program, let's say three years prior to getting pregnant, you're going to see tremendous gains. You're going to go from like one pull-up to five pull-ups. But, <laughs> see, this is the thing. Now we got to change our whole mindset. Like you know, I'm sure, and having conversations with individuals, and I would say it's two out of five of every female that I've spoken with still has challenge psyche positions on what their weight gain is going to mean to them relative to their pregnancy. So that means that there's 40% of all females out there, from my perspective, this is my opinion, that will have psychological things going on with regards to weight gain. And now I'm going to carry that over to asking you what your point of view is on, you know, what to do about this weight gain change in regards to mechanics and physical expression throughout pregnancy. Yep. Uh, and this is where I always go to intentions, right? With a client, like, so having very clear intentions of what we're doing in training and what are the priorities and why they matter. Right. So it's like, if I want to avoid lower back pain, right. Or we know that ab abdomen breasts are going to grow. It's inevitable, right? These things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. So what do we want to make sure we're incorporating into your training to combat these things? Well, I do want to make sure you have great upper back endurance. I do want to make sure that we've got a good posterior chain, right? So that as these things happen, you still feel as good as possible. Mm. Yeah. Maybe still have some back pain that may be inevitable at some point. Yeah. Um, right. But I always go back to like, what is going to make you feel your best throughout pregnancy and keeping that be like as the highest focus with that client. Mm -hmm. um, I've, that, I've had a lot of really good success with females like by making that be the focal point versus weight loss. And then when it comes into what does aerobic training look like, it usually goes again, what feels good, 
it feels good to come in and like move for 30 minutes in like a map nine setting and just like break a sweat because you feel better at the end of the session, mm -hmm. then we can like, we can add things like that into training. But, um, you know, I always go like in, in that article and anything, no one really spoke to that. Like, why are we doing these type of exercises and how are they going to make you feel good throughout your pregnancy and also make you feel good postpartum? Yeah. I would love to lay that foundation of, I want you to feel like you have a really good idea of why you're doing what you're doing, how your body feels, how to move, how to connect to it. Because in those early days, you're going to be alone at home and I might be able to help you write that program, but you're going to need to know how to do these things. You're going to need to have to find that four point on your own and find a neutral spine without me by your side. Mm -hmm. So I'm always kind of painting that picture of like, when you're alone and you've got 20 minutes to move while the baby's napping, I need you to know how to do this by yourself. I love that. Uh, that's because that's one point I just added to, you know, that sits well with me with regards to the autonomous individual and free movers. Um, Cause that's what you're building based upon what your language you just mentioned there. Uh, but what I heard that I'm going to put into shorter form movements, Trump progress with regards to this. So consistency is going to Trump uh, progress of weights Um you know, you being, we'll come back to that, how you can determine, you know, the best intuitive self, um, but intuition is going to trump progress. Um, you're going to have to be able to recognize that you're going to have ups and downs. It's not the same as the three-year plan prior to being pregnant, right? Where you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been doing this 16 weeks in a row and been getting more on my dumbbell chest press because it's not going to be the case, right? So you may just want to say to yourself then, Besides the fact of the, the fact that you may lift less weights over time, or you may do less pull-ups as an example, right? You need to be able to say, how am I going to handle that, right? How am I going to handle the fact that consistency is more important than progress over time? And I think that's the key point that I would like to hit home for anyone listening in today that's getting to that is that not only with Melissa's voice of hearing in the back of your head saying, just be intuitive, intuitive as to what I'm going to do, add that to the fact that you need to recognize that consistency is going to trump everything. So uh, if you're just consistent, yeah. And I think as a coach on this one, uh, you need to be ahead of the ball on this. If I have a female yeah. who's already- That's a nudge. I like that. Very yeah. fit and can do pull-ups. Right. There's a lot of different pulling variations we can do that I'm never going to put a female in that's going to make her feel like she's doing less than she did before. Yeah, that's education. I support her ego. Yeah. But it's, you know, um, I have a client, right? I have four that are all due in the next. I had one had her baby yesterday. Oh, one awesome. Two, Congratulations. So we're like in fourth trimester, like go time with all these females. And my most active one that was the strongest, fittest was doing pull ups um, from, from right out the gate. Like she's had the most fatigue, the a lot more symptoms than some of the other clients, but it was like, we're going to put you in positions that you're confident in where you can still do that. Like you feel good. If she can still bench press and that feels great. And we can do other types of pulling variations where she still feels strong and accomplished mm -hmm. in the gym. Why would we not do those things? Then me put her into a pull up position where she's like, I feel heavy as fuck right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you also have to just know um, if you have a client that's going to hit some of those issues of feeling like they're losing their strength, they're losing progress. You mm -hmm. have to find ways to like still make them feel inspired to come in and move and feel good about what they're doing. Um, you yeah. know, and just know that out the gate that, yeah, like it just stops sooner than later. Cause it's no, no one likes to feel like I went from being able to do a lot of these to, I can't even like do an active hang anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the, I think this, this covers both areas too, with regards to resistance and aerobic work, just recognize that you're going to gain weight. That's it. Like, so if you're going to gain weight, just think about that. Well, if any human is going to gain weight, you know, then what are we going to do in that situation? You're going to have to adapt, right? Now, if it's in a, I call it a natural weight gain situation, right? Other, there's other points of people's lives where there's natural weight gain. Um, you know, there's a increased peak height and peak weight post pubescent areas, timelines. Um, there's a period in someone's life based upon hormonal fluctuations and differences. There could be medicated periods for specific purposes that are going to result in that. So there's other, these other, I guess that's not natural, but there's other times of one's life that will do that. But this is an area where there's going to be weight gain. And just think about that with regards to physics. That's basically what we want to focus on. The word that I had down there, though, for what you said with regards to MAP9, some people may not be aware of what we're talking about there with what they're going to be doing for their activity. But I get, I want, want people to focus on breathing over becoming breathless, right? So if you, if you think about that, where, you know, your first point with regards to resistance, well, what should I do? Um, then you should be thinking it's movements over progress. And then for aerobic work, what should you be doing? You should be thinking about breathing over being breathless. So the whole idea around, you know, I could go on and on if it's not obvious, I could go on and on for hours about my interest with regards to breathing activities and performance and overexertion and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this is where I do know that what I do know is correct. Um, I'll pat my back on that is that, if you can focus on uh, elongating your aerobic activities to get to a point where you find it uh, easy each time, but you're having to breathe in order to do the activity, you're probably in the right space, right? And that could change over time. And maybe we should segue right now into that because we did talk about, well, indirectly being careful of patterns, what you just heard and what Melissa said for specific kind of patterns from our list we said earlier, right, of the hope people can pick out of there that you could still do pushing and pulling, squatting, bending, you know, lunging, et cetera. You could still do these things. You got to be careful of those movements. But how about aerobic work? Because um, I was thinking there are some things that could be contraindicated inside of the, our classic aerobic activities. Uh, like I'll just throw one out there. Um uh, rowing at six months pregnant, you know? Uh, so people are like, well, I saw this lady. It was like, well, again, it goes back to our point I mentioned. I mean, if she was a elite rower and she's been rowing during three pregnancies and this is her fourth, she probably can handle okay. But uh, anything to add to that as to what could be those aerobic activities? I mean, I'd, I'd love people to be varied all the time, but I also want to add in there something we forget is that it's not the most comfortable to be on a bike seat for a elongated period of time at certain points in one's pregnancy either, so... Um, and that's why I say, like, you know, I find that just being able to mix up, like we can go bike, prisoner step up, carrier, wall or an isometric or something like that, 30 minutes sustained breathing, mm. or like ladder it where they go 10, 20, 30 cows on the awesome. bike or you can pair it. Yeah. My, like that's their happy place. They yeah. Feel the variety. Constantly moving. Um, but again, it's pretty much, you'll, depending on how, um, how fast they grow, um, yeah. like bike, I mean, rowing even skiing sometimes just like that, that much of repetitive, you can feel like mm -hmm. depending on, on the individual. Plus um, to your point where the intra set variety might be more important, right? Yeah. It's like, just like, you're just not going to do 30 minute skier. That's yeah. not, mm -hmm. great, right? but you know, having it split up and just like pairing it through, mm -hmm. um, you know, and at a breathable pace where that person can just stay at the same exact pacing throughout the whole entire 30 minutes and breathe. Yeah. Um, 
is usually what I'm a big fan of. And then again, again, depending on the individual or where we are in pregnancy, right? It's like third trimester, it may just simply be fatigue level so high. Mm -hmm. Even doing something for 30 minutes is like, I'm exhausted at the Mm -hmm. end of a warm day, right? So this is real life. It's like, you have to know who your client is, if they're still um, working and they haven't, you know, taken their maternity leave yet. It's like, it's really just a matter of like what they have the energy for at the end of the day, if they're coming to train Mm -hmm. after a work day of standing on their feet or something. Yeah. Yeah, if I was to reduce that down uh, for the, I was just trying to think of the uh, the female that's out there that doesn't have a robust experience with regards to exercise and doesn't have a coach, right? So this is not a, a, a coach listening in who's going to be helping someone else. Um, if you know that person or you are that person, I would say develop the skill of walking as, you know, that may sound funny to some people that are listening in, but it's an excellent skill. It's a lifetime skill that you can build during it. And it ties into Melissa's previous points on developing things throughout this pregnancy. That's going to last you a lifetime, which we're going to come back to like highlighting as one of those major points and body weight activities, right? So if you could pair, if you could do body weight activities, and that just means like stepping up and down off something that's fairly safe, you know, uh, doing air squats and figuring out what those are, um, doing some kind of wall pushups and doing some kind of dead hang or hanging position or even rows with a band. And you're to do that three times a week plus walking, you will, you will develop skills that will last your lifetime. And I would argue that you're going at a, the correct progressive rate through your whole pregnancy that's going to result in some happiness and well-being i literally that's like for my client right now she does that every monday she awesome. does a banded row awesome. she does type of like single leg variation depending on what her body feels like that day awesome um, you know so it really can be that simple but having a great aerobic base going into um delivery is huge so um yeah great segue into the specific could you could you highlight the lady's story the specific lady's story in flagstaff because this does add into the you know, I know we're going backwards here possibly, but you just mentioned the aerobic system. So, yeah. Um, this was a marathon runner who continued to run throughout the entirety of her pregnancy. An elite uh, marathon runner. <laughs> marathon runner. And it's in Flagstaff, Arizona. So inside score story, there's like a thousand elite runners who live up there for that reason. This is her sport, right? This is her career. This isn't like, she's not just like running as a hobby. This is what she does. Um, And I liked this one specifically because of the way she was judged for continuing to do her level of fitness that Mm -hmm. she was already capable of doing throughout her pregnancy, right? So people who don't know you judging what you're doing, right? That she was Mm -hmm. putting her baby in harm, that she was going to give her baby a concussion, that how could we do this or how could she be so inconsiderate of the well-being of her child by continuing to run like that? Yeah. And so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the reason why I'll say we liked it is because of not the hatred that she received, but uh, the teaching that could come from people uh, recognizing what you and I have said, that your pre-pregnancy capabilities, your pre-pregnancy capabilities dictate expression, right? So there's so many things to be said around that. I could highlight as well just how out of shape and deconditioned so many people are that they're willing to pick on this individual, but I won't go that angle because that un- unveils these uncomfortable truths that no one wants to recognize that these actual idiots that were posting online, they just can't do anything that she could do. I think that's what hurts them the most. But secondly, it makes us aware that we need to individualize 
every judgment based upon what females are going to do during pregnancy. The only thing that would add to that as an, as an asterisk is so people just don't just recognize, just don't get out of your lane with regards to what you know you're capable of doing. That's just said in a different way from what you said earlier, right? So if someone has ran 26 miles 400 times prior to getting pregnant, <laughs> okay, 400 times prior to getting pregnant, I'm kind of not going to be too concerned. I'm really not going to be too concerned over her putting on Instagram doing 400 meter repeats. I'm not going to be too concerned. I am going to be concerned if someone says I have never run before and I'm deciding to do a marathon during the pregnancy. So if you're posting online against this person's story because you think someone's going to buy the bait that that's going to happen, I'm going to tell you that most times it's not going to work out for that female anyways, because she's going to run for 10 minutes and be like, this shit sucks. I haven't trained, you know, I haven't done, so she's not going to end up running 26 miles. She won't be able to do it. Um, so don't, so don't worry about that happening, but just so you could recognize the principles in there. If you're not capable of doing it, then don't try it through a pregnancy. Is there anything more to add to that, Melissa? Or is that just the, the basics? Yeah, and I don't want that to, again, in the same like breath, be an excuse not to do fitness, right? Like, yeah. Well, the doctor said to stay at the level that I'm at and I don't do anything. So I shouldn't do anything throughout my pregnancy. No, we can start walking. We can yeah. do body weight patterns. But, but, but to argue that is actually more than what they were doing. But they can't. But see, that's where everyone's like, it has to be individualized because it, for some cases you can do more than mm -hmm. what you were doing before you got pregnant. If again, it's appropriate for you. So yeah. if you were going from mm -hmm. not walking any days and we can incorporate walking 20 minutes a day in a way that still you can recover, we feel good and everything. Yep. I, I don't want that to be an excuse to now. Well, I'm sedentary, so I need to stay sedentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, Right. Or like Good it's helping to gain unnecessary weight throughout my pregnancy. Right. Some of those yes. kind of debunking some of these myths of like, well, you know, I'm eating for two. So I'm supposed to just eat more calories because I'm pregnant or mm. because you're pregnant and you should not, you should just rest as much as possible and not move at all. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah. so there has to be this, like, let's use some common sense here. We can walk 20 minutes a day and I think we'll be yeah. okay if you weren't doing anything. Um, but to your point too, on that one, it's like, we always have to separate sport. We have, we talk about this all the time. What is mm -hmm. sport and what is health, like health. Yep. And, you know, if you're not Tia, you know, like, and you're not an elite crossfitter, like you don't need to be doing that. Right. Yep. But we Cause you're not it. capable of it. If That's not capable of it. You right. Can't, you you can't do it. So don't do it. So don't try to do it, right? It's no. no different than a guy that's not a professional football player trying to go play professional football. Like yeah. on a, you're not a professional football player. So like you have no business trying to do that. Like, yeah. So uh, two things there. So if the question could be asked, can one do too much? And my, my answer to that would be yes. If they have done, if they have not done that or anything prior. So one can actually do too much, you know, just to, just to qualm the, the voices of discontent out based upon that. Cause somebody be like, Oh, I guess what I hearing there is uh, from you guys is that it's not impossible, you know, but it is, it is possible or sorry, it's not possible. It is possible to do too much if you've never done it before, uh, right. Or if you're being overzealous or like your point you made earlier, if your intentions are off, 
right? So if you're capable of doing overhead squats beforehand and you have done, you know, 65 different dot-com workouts in a period of seven years, and now you're pregnant, I really don't have a problem with you doing overhead squats, right? And even maybe even doing 400 meter runs and overhead squats up to three months pregnancy um, as a quote unquote movement session, because in your brain, as a, this may be too much for a lot of people to understand or even handle, it could be aerobic for you, right? So people are like, oh, that's not the same as walking. Well, to this person, it might be. So we got we to individualize it based upon what people, so go back to the principles, you know, it's got to be based upon what you're capable of. But, and we're adding a little note to that, we'll call it Melissa's note to it, but it doesn't mean you can't make some improvements, right? You can't just stay at the status quo, right? If you have not done a lot in the past, right? So there's that asterisk in it that says, yeah, if you haven't done much, no, you can still actually add during your acti- during your pregnancy. That's just beyond what we'll just call for, don't take it the wrong way, but zero. You're at zero, there's no reason why you can't do twos and threes and fours with regards to strength activity. If 10 means running a marathon, do a three or a four for a long period of time. Cause next thing you know, you're going to feel like, you know, uh, you're doing fives and sixes, but you're going to be able to handle it. You know, if I'm right. using numbers for strength for that. I go to this again for just a very person that's not working out or anything like that. That's listening. That's not a coach. It's like when you have a child, that baby doesn't stay six pounds forever. Yeah. Good point. It grows really quick. And that's the biggest thing I always see to like, you know, most of our women that are pregnant is like that child is going to grow very rapidly. Yeah. You don't have the midline endurance to hold a child. We're going to have a lot more issues postpartum. Yeah. That we're just not acknowledging because when you're caring or your baby's falling asleep in your arms or you're breastfeeding or you're having to pick something up repetitively all day, you're squatting and hinging. Yeah. Yeah. This is the assumption that we're making today, which we didn't cover, but uh, um, if it's not obvious, there's, gosh, (laughs) so many benefits to learning how to do exercise during pregnancy. It's so many, right? Like you you just hit on a little bit of earlier, but that's basically what we're going at there. And I just want to make sure everyone knows we did make a bunch of assumptions today you know, recognizing that, yes, just in case we got to say it out loud, we think that consistency of exercise throughout pregnancy is really, is really a good thing, <laughs> you know, and there's so many benefits from science has shown this over a period of time to that. Right. And we got to be thankful actually that science wanted to investigate this. And I would say it was probably in that time where I was coming through where science started to get a little stronger on that. And I do remember those times because there was even like these ethical issues that were inside of studying pregnant women that no one wanted to get into because they're afraid it was going to cause any confusion. Yet the exercise scientists were like, this won't, this won't harm anyone. What we're going to get from it is all this great information to tell females basically to not stay in bed for nine months, but to get out there and do running and lunges and try a freaking pull up when they're three months pregnant. You know, um, and then thankfully enough, everyone was like, okay, let's study this. And we studied it in the nine. I say we, cause I was indirectly a part of that, of like looking at the new information. We studied it. And now we're 25 years later. And yes, Melissa and I would agree. You have to be active and do exercise because there's unbelievable, crazy benefits to this, not just for your pregnancy or even post, like you just mentioned of progression, you know, child, you know, all the uh, child getting bigger, all the thing I would add to it, 
all the behavioral things that you overcome during you learning about fending for yourself and being resilient and overcoming tough days, right? Even when you're pregnant, where you're like, I don't even know if I want to exercise. And then you do it and you're like, oh, you know, well, you know, I got through it. That you'll remember that. So when it comes time when you're, you know, three months postnatal and you're like, geez, I really don't feel the best mentally right now. You're going to do some activity and that's going to shift things for you. Right. And so you're going to remember that you did that and all those things will build up. So I just didn't want to jump over that assumption that we're making that there's huge evidence to support what we're talking about for, for, you know, exercising during activity, being a lifelong endeavor and skills that people pick up. So let's move from there into um, some of the things that I wanted to like highlight in our language that, you know, I thought were that, you know, I added one to it as well, based on what you said of the autonomy perspective, but um, these, you know, what we discussed today, and then summarize that in some pieces of information that people could, uh, can leave with. And the first one that uh, this goes back to your point on intuition, and it's a point for us to discuss here now maybe some points of interest you have or stories you have on building one's own trust um, in themselves and then gaining experience in order for them to have intuition. Because what I always answer to a lot of uh, mothers or mothers-to-be, um, especially when I tell their teach their husbands about this or their partners about this too, is that I'll say, mama always knows best. I would always say that. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that she needs to get to the point where she can trust in all of her intuitions because there's this link between her and that little one and also her and the development of that, that little one. And then the future that comes from that in feeding and nourishing and et cetera, that you cannot understand that the only one that will understand that in terms of like, what should they do for movement during pregnancy? What should they do for aerobic work during pregnancy? What should they eat during pregnancy? How should they behave during pregnancy? How should they rest and work? And you know, all these things, mom will always know what's best. But this is my point. I'm asking you right now, any thoughts on, there's a lot of females though, that don't trust themselves. Right. And I know there's a lot of factors that go into that loss of trust. We talked about it earlier based upon self-perception to do today's media landscape, et cetera. But any thoughts on that, on how that one can build trust and experience in order to gain this point? So when they hear you say, you know, just trust your intuition on it, maybe they're questioning their intuition. Yeah, I think so intuition always starts with education. Right. So we have to understand, again, why we're doing what we're doing and how. Again, it aligns to the to your goals or priorities, right? So um, I think intuition can come into a very simple example is like, when do we move from a, a barbell to a dumbbell, right? A lot of women like seems very simple, but it's like, is there a certain, like a certain trimester or a certain weight I have to be to know? Mm -hmm. And then every time they intuitively know our belly gets to a place where it's like, yeah, this is just awkward and uncomfortable. I'm going to go grab some dumbbells, right? Yeah. And it's like, they chose that. I didn't have to change it in the program. It's like, they just came in one day and they're like, yeah, my belly feels like it's in the way. I'm going to go get some dumbbells. Um, or, you know, I, I have females that will squat with a bar all the way up until delivery because it feels good. Mm. Stretches out the front of their chest and their pecs when they put a bar on their back. And like, oh, it just feels good to do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, and I the think- squatting position for the pelvis- Right. So then, and that can go into, you know, as hormone shift towards the end of pregnancy, depths and squats are what feels good on hips. 
um, they typically will just shift positions on their own. Mm -hmm. They might take a slightly wider stance, right? Or we might shift some stuff just based off how they feel. And so I think that's where it's like, we can't be too married to an actual program design oftentimes because that's where we can go wrong. I think big ranges are big here. Like if we're doing something, it's like, you know, you have to give them a very wide range of repetitions because then they have the choice to kind of do what their body's asking that day. And that'll dictate load and intensity for that individual. Um, And as you kind of lengthen that leash throughout pregnancy, they do become more intuitive because now you're like creating a framework, but they're choosing what goes in that. Yeah. So through experience, they're gaining education for the one that doesn't have the experience, right? So it's like, you know, we simply create some exercise selections and then you give them a little bit of freedom of how many reps, right? Weight Mm -hmm. selection, things like that, because energy in first trimester will look completely different than second trimester, right? And then again, by third trimester, right? So it's like, you know, there may be weeks where we feel great. And it's like, I want to go up a little bit. And then two weeks later, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, it's not there today. So that's where I think it's like, you have to give them just some parameters and then like, let them explore. Excellent. Yeah. The, uh, what I pulled into there, cause I love the alliteration as well is they're going to get educated through experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to lead to, uh, trusting themselves, which is going to lead to, uh, intuition and decision-making the, back to my point of uh, mama knows best. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to get to, you know, at that point where you feel inspired by that, like a trusting yourself and, you know, you knowing what's going to be best, right? Like the humor story. I don't know when I, I think it was through one of our three sessions, past three podcasts, but of uh, the in-laws wanting to come over and then Leanne being like, no, you're not coming over during during the kids' sleep periods, right? That That's another example is like, you know, <laughs> I'm laughing because whenever questions would come our way, I would just look to my right and be like, well, what do you think, Leanne? Because she she would know. She would have the intuition to be like, no, that's not going to work. I know my kids. I know what they need. And that happens not only out of birth. That happens during pregnancy, right? So build that intuition and then it'll eventually uh, eventually be fine. If I can add, you know, just using my story and Leanne's inside of that, um, if, if if there's anyone who could be in my position in the future, think about what I'm think about what I said there too, is that you also need to be collectively strong in the household, right? To to be able to say like you know there is one person who we need to rely on, and you need to continually prop up and give that confidence so that she does recognize that she can trust in her own tuitions. That's really important because, and if no one's picking out why I'm putting that down, is a lot of partners may feel they need to step up their game and take control of those situations, right? And that actually will fall flat in these situations. So it is very important to trust in that, to keep building that trust and confidence up so that, you know, um, uh, mama knows what, uh, what she needs to do. Um, I think that needs to be a name of a book in the future. Second, um, you said this earlier, uh, the second point or second, you know, thing to remember is prepare to get pregnant years before we've discussed this, uh, previously. So if you kind of think about this and it's in the back of your mind, you're either a partner of, uh, someone who's going to be getting pregnant in years to come 
or you're just in this conversation, you could be a coach, you could be certainly just starting it out. It's really important that you think about the preparation around building the skills for freedom of movement and behavior and nutrition um, prior to getting pregnant. Would you agree to that for like a thing to remember here? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I said prep to get pregnant years before. Uh, third, um, this goes to our point we mentioned. I don't know if you want to say it a different way. I said stay in your lane. That means like only do what you're capable of doing, right? But I think I needed to add an asterisk to this to repeat that um, was that what what you mentioned is that, yeah, what James means by stay in your lane is not that if you've done nothing, then now you can just be sedentary throughout pregnancy. No, no, there is this stipulation that you can still make some improvements towards this longevity focus, correct? Throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Senior link attaches to some point of education, experience, and intuition. Like, right? Yes. Like, if this doesn't True. feel good, don't do it. Yeah. Like, that, there has to be some intuition that, like, guess what? You're in class and there's box jumps. You know to do step-ups because, like, you just don't need to do it. It doesn't feel good. Like, yeah. Intuition here. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, that, I would agree with you there. There's intuition that comes before that because, uh, you know, I'm just thinking of a just a human out there. So a human that's trying to navigate the physical environment, we do have this sense-making inside that when we step up to do something, and you've seen it, Melissa, numerous times, and I'm going to maybe call you out that you've actually had this happen before, and I'll say I have as well, where you look at a box and you're like, I can't jump up on that. So you're just (laughs) frozen, right? But no, just think of the alien observing that, right? The alien observing it is like, just jump up on the box. So what is that, right? What is that? humans have a sense making as to how to navigate our environment we do so if you want to be a mover out there in the environment and i'm making this more humanist as opposed to just like for females in pregnancy you have to recognize you need to go out there and try and look and see what people are doing and then go i think i'm going to be capable of doing that you're going to know that you're going to be capable of doing it that's what you mean by that like you'll you'll know you'll have the intuition that that movement will be good for me or that just won't work right now and right. I could see so that goes even outside the gym. It's like, right. If you're not an avid hiker and you're pregnant and you get the lottery, exactly. you have, like no. have the intuition to be like, Ooh, maybe that's beyond me. This Good year. point. Because <laughs> I can get, I can get closed off my mind frame of being in the gym only for that, but you were totally correct of how to navigate outside of that. Correct. Um, and then last point that I had on it was uh, the thing, actually the point that you made is the, we keep forgetting that, all of this practice that takes place during pregnancy are actual uh, human developmental skills that will last you forever. Uh, and I, I would, uh, if I were, if we were to, if I was to guess, I think there's actually more behavioral skills that are gained over physical skills during it that last forever. Would you agree with that, or uh, just just a shot in the dark? if you had to put them up against one another. I think you're right, but I never considered that until you just said it now. Yeah. Um, And the only reason why I keep thinking about that is all the females that I know that have been through pregnancy that are just like, like honestly transformed humans with regards to their self-confidence and psyche and capabilities. I mean, yeah, anyways. Um, But I want to, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent to forget the point that you made. So any thoughts on that of learning forever, meaning that the skills you develop inside of this 
are things because I heard you say in there, like you're telling your client, like when you're doing these things, these are st- these are things you're going to do on your own throughout pregnancy and then afterwards. Right. Yeah. And I, I always think that's like the cool thing we have in our conversations or how we view things is I never look at things as like an isolated period. Right. Each phase of life is just preparing us to have the skill set to make it through the next one. Mm-hmm. So that's how I always like to approach it with our, like my female clients. It's like, you know, everything we're doing now is like so that you feel empowered to do these things on your own afterwards you yeah. know um yeah. and it's like then we can stop making all these things be like pelvic floor is important during perimenopause because all of a sudden now you're gonna right like oh my god you lose your pelvic floor and now you need to go see a pt or we have these like you know these key words that pop up that all of a sudden we give so much power to it's like yeah. you know if you if someone has had to find a four-point position you know, in their twenties, <laughs> by the time we're home, it's not like, Oh, because otherwise I always say, this is the one thing I always see is if we've done nothing and then we try to do something postpartum, we don't have the education and experience to trust our bodies. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing it alone, you don't know how to find a neutral pelvic position or are you stacking correctly? Cause you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. And now you're just fatigued, underslept and by yourself watching a YouTube video. So um, the more experience we can get during pregnancy or before pregnancy, the more empowered and able you'll be um, postpartum. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> you sound like you've uh, spoken to that person before, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and if that person's out there listening in, she was, she didn't mean you. It was just an example. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, well, I, I had, uh, I think we covered the gamut there. I had all the these points to bring up based upon, um expression and and uh, all the things that intertwine with it and i wanted us to summarize on some things that people could go home with um which was mama knows best prep to get pregnant stay in your lane and learn forever and if we keep those things front and uh front and center i think we could bypass this whole you know which i had down there a point to consider of you know i still i always want to you know add these points to it that you know humans you know again uh, factually have been doing something on this planet for, let's say, 250,000 years. And we've moved from this, you know, well-accepted physical expression of females during pregnancy, well-accepted. And I, I don't even, I could go into stories that would blow your mind as to what was expected of and the uh, the ability level of pregnant females throughout time to go through this period of what we'll call like a civilization where we were told that like, don't do anything, you know, uh, during it because, you know, and now we're at the point where we have iPhones, the iPhone age, and we actually have to design strain. Like we got to come up with strain now (laughs) in order to make us more resilient. Right. So that, that happened over a really, really long period of time. And the one thing I always want, you know, that's what I, the point I wanted to make to keep people remembering that is that this like last 50 years is such a small part of our entire experience, right? So who are you to say that we haven't built 230,000 years or 240,000 years, let's say, of experience where females during pregnancy are actually quite capable of physical expression throughout. And it does lead to positive things when you add refrigeration, medication, technology, information, industrialization, you add all these things to it. We should be super uh, grateful um, but I just want to point that out that we still need to come up with, you know, ways of, you know, physical strain during pregnancy 
Um, and you and I feel it's going to lead to great results over time. Awesome, Blossom. Um, I'm not sure. I'll leave it up to the master, um, Master Melissa, for the uh, naming of that. Uh, I've noticed that I we leave our podcast. So I'm like, oh, I don't even know if we had a name for that. But then I see it come up in my um, my Apple podcast. I was like, oh, that's a great name. I like that. So uh, I don't know what we'll call this one, but um, you could find it on our Apple podcasts or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, and I don't even know what our next one is going to be. So let's just let's just leave it at that unless you have anything anything any finishing points on what i mentioned for today melissa oh, i think we did a, a good job at attacking um you know as well, we, we covered always, it all right covered it all and yeah. as i always say it, it all starts with um just start now like start That's now right. <laughs> the first steps are the first steps awesome yeah thanks a lot <laughs>